0: Hey, everybody, welcome to Chuck Yates Needs a Job, the podcast. Got a little twist for you this week. Justin Gauthier wanted me to come on his podcast. I wanted him coming on my podcast. So anyway, we said screw it. We did it together. So anyway, I hope you enjoy. I! 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 I!
1: I! I, 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 I. everyone, welcome back and thanks for tuning in. I'm here at the Digital Wildcatters headquarters with my man Chuck Yates. He, him, his. uh, Galactic Viceroy at Digital Wildcatters. Viceroy. 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 What is, okay, so. Okay. What the hell is that? Here's
0: here's this. Viceroy. (laughs) Viceroy. So LinkedIn, LinkedIn (laughs) makes you put a title in. I don't know if you know this. And when you get fired, Unemployed Dude is unappealing as a title, right? And so I'm sitting there. I'm sitting there like, all right, what the hell? And Galactic Viceroy sounded cool, right? So I put it in. Swear to God, somebody texts me, dude, congratulations on the new job. And I'm like, no oh way. way. Oh, yeah. No, it's great. <laughs> so I text back. I text back. I text back. I'm just following my dreams. Right. And the dude texts back, I'm sure you'll crush it. Now, he's probably out there going, Yates is off his rocker. Yates yeah. thinks he's a Galactic Viceroy, but-
1: but he was encouraging and supportive of it, it regardless. Very encouraging. That, that's a true stuff. friend, man.
0: And you know what my uh, email address is at Digital Wildcatters? Galactic Vis- at Digital Wildcatters. Dude, so
1: that that is hilarious. That's, that's I, that. I have to ask, have, yeah. have you ever had the green banner open to work? I mean, are you into the banner situation? Like, what do you think about that? Oh, I don't you even, even know what, I mean? what that is.
0: I'm kind of Well, a, you know, if
1: you if well, I know you're big on Twitter, but on LinkedIn, if a lot of people are looking for jobs. They'll have a. They'll have their profile picture, and then there's kind of this green swoop that says,
0: "This open. has been the whole problem." Okay, I didn't know
1: about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, no, I mean, uh, I've I've jokingly said that uh, that the purpose of the podcast and my Twitter presence is to make sure I'm unemployable because I figure, I mean, like, <laughs> like I'm hey, fundamentally you're... the laziest person I've ever met, so this really works for me being but,
1: unemployed. But arguably, like you're probably lazy. When you have to do things you don't like to do. But if you are passionate and you love something, whatever that looks like, chances are you're probably not that lazy. And that's kind of fair. That's
0: kind right. of fair. I mean, per- particularly if you put it like a, a little bit of a dose of narcissism in with it, you know, it's like, oh, I get to be on camera. I kind of work to make sure I'm on camera. <laughs> yeah. Like when you call, I'm like, yes, sir. I'd love to be on your podcast. Right. No, uh, that's great. No. So around here, Colin will say, hey, could you do this for me? No. That sounds right. like a job. Yeah. I not I'm done so with it. There's an element of
1: that. Yeah. But you have, I mean, so you have a very unique background. And by that, I mean, you know, you, uh, you know, Rice MBA graduate, right? Right. From, yeah. Uh, what year did you graduate? So here was the story. So undergrad Rice, yeah. 91.
0: 91. Okay. Semester of UT law school in the, in the fall of 91. Big, okay. thick book, tiny print, no pictures. That's really bad. So I dropped out of law school. And I just defaulted back into Rice Business School because I didn't know what else to do. Gotcha. And figured out finance. And that was kind of the first aha moment because I really thought, undergrad, political science, I'm going to law school, I'm going to be the governor of Texas. That's my career path. And just hated law school. And so when I figured out
1: finance, that was kind of like, okay, this is my jam. That was, okay. That was my jam. I mean, because, so 27-ish years in oil and gas and and up to executive management, right? And, And I mean, you did... Obviously, you did very well, um, but then you became a podcaster, content creator, Galactic Viceroy, um, and, you know, at the industry's leading events and media company, here we are at Digital Wildcatters, but between between all of that, you've spent some really interesting times with really interesting people, and it was maybe, like, a few months ago, I, you, you, on Twitter, you'll all of a sudden randomly post you with, like, some celebrities, or you're on fucking TMZ, <laughs> and... So I'm thinking, like, and just in my mind, I'm like, when I met you at Energy Tech Night, I was like, man, I got to get to know this guy. Like, he has something, he's way more than, you know, what the book cover shows. And then, you know, of course, getting to know you and then listening to your podcast. And then all of a sudden, you've got these pictures. I'm like, what in the world? So I'm actually really genuinely curious, aside from energy and oil and gas and everything, we'll get into that. But like, how did you all of a sudden get in front of these celebrities? Like, you had Migos, you know, you took a picture when, when, um, Takeoff, you know, right. thing happened. Um, then you got some with some other like comedians, and then was it like Kiss or somebody? Like you've got all these. Like anytime someone yeah. says something, all of a sudden you got a picture of you with them, and it's like where in the so how in the world? And so like explain I, this all to me because I'm like, just, like I blown tell, away. Like I tell my kids, <laughs> "Pretty happening, dude. Wouldn't you want to hang out with me if you were Kiss?" <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. No. So
0: so so uh, you know, some people like to go play golf. You know, some people like to hunt and fish. I mean, we all kind of have our hobbies. Of course. As weird as this sounds. And it it probably comes from, in in all seriousness, kind of this insecurity and shallow nature. I like stalking celebrities. Interesting. I mean, I just do. my, My buddy Fish says, I have the greatest celebrity radar on the planet. I can walk in and go, oh, my God. She's the B-level star in this reality TV show that ran from 97 to 99. And I go get a picture with her. What? And I don't know what it is. But anyway, it's, so it's kind of fun. So, yeah. So, okay. And and, and and part of this actually kind of started with my brother. I've got three brothers. One of my brothers and I used to play a stupid game called, what do you say to a celebrity when you meet them? And we would call each other at all hours of the night. And- Huh. The, the first manifestation of this uh, game was we were in the Houston airport. We're like walking out of the Continental Lounge. This is back before United Continental. We're walking out and we bumped into Peter Noon, who is the lead singer of Hermits Hermits. Okay. And my brother Jay stares at him, stares, and it's kind of awkward because we literally do bump into each other. And Jay just starts screaming at the top of his lungs. Henry the eighth, I am, I am. Because they had a song about, you know, a lady who had married, you know, seven Henry's and he was the eighth Henry. So Henry the Eighth he is. Yeah. So we start screaming. And Peter Noon looks at us and goes, Oh my God, I'm gonna get killed and runs off. And Jay's like chasing him through the continental lounge. I don't know what came over Jay. We were pretty drunk. But he's screaming, She would not marry a dick or a Sam. So anyway, it was so funny that we just started doing that. And so we would always walk up to celebrities and we'd have something funny to say or whatever. And kind of the pinnacle of that game is I saw O.J. Simpson in the San Jose airport. And I go over there, I go, O.J., O.J., man, I got, and I kind of pull him down. I'm like, hey, man, I got a line on the real killer's. And he looked at me freaked out and ran off. No way. Yeah, 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 yeah. What? So anyway, Dude, it, it, it kind of nuts it, it, to go do that to OJ no, Simpson. Why well,
1: didn't crazy. Think he would
0: kill me in the San Jose airport? <laughs> yeah, hopefully but, not. but, but so anyway, it's kind of always wow. sparked the thing. So I'm the annoying guy that will always <clears throat> go take
1: the picture with the celebrity. So that's why, that's why I've got all so, these pictures. <clears throat> you, you mentioned something earlier and to tie into this as well, but you said, you know, maybe some of it comes from like insecurities or something like that. But like, so I read something not long ago, but it, there's there's two things that really fuel us to to sort of overcome or do something amazing, and a lot of it is based on our insecurities. Right. So what what based off of what you know about yourself, because it sounds like you have a pretty good level of self awareness. What about the? It takes inse- fifty four years to get there, but yeah, go right. ahead. Right. No, it, and it does, and I think there's some wisdom that comes with that as well. But like, what? what type of insecurities have led you to be, because you did really well. And again, knowing what I know, I think you did fairly well in in oil and gas and energy and, and finance. Is that a part of it? Or, I mean, is there any connection there? That's a good question.
0: Uh, So kind of thinking there, I mean, Brene Brown in her research on us basically says that ultimately our security, our insecurities come back to, do I feel worthy of love? You know, that ultimately Anytime you're agitated or whatever, anytime you're going through your bad behavior, drinking too much, whatever, you start tracing it back, you unpeel it. And it's do yeah. we feel do we feel worthy? And we all have wow. that issue, right? And yeah. I think one of the things that kind of you know, I wound up getting divorced after being married for almost 25 years. And one of the things I figured out from that was. Too much of my sense of self worth was wrapped up in my ex wife's approval, and so when that got denied, man, fucked me. I mm-hmm. mean, I was just, I was, a, I was a mess during the separation and the divorce, and kind of led to a lot of therapy. I've paid for more therapy than the gross national product of a third world country. <laughs> okay, uh, you know, so you, you, you kind of, kind of, you, you un, unpe- you, you, you peel that back, and in looking back, you're like, oh yeah, I was the kid that you know, had to be the lead star in the high school drama play. You know, I was the, I was the, you know, kid that was always seeking approval. And where that came from, is it I'm the oldest of four boys? Was I just born that way genetically? But it's, mm. it's wild. If you really start digging in and kind of unpacking everything, Yeah, how a lot of this stuff, I hate to say Freud was right, but Freud's right. A lot of this stuff goes back to, uh, to, to childhood on things.
1: No, it it does, and actually, I'm you know for a long time speaking, you know, kind of on that is <clears throat> when I look back now on really what's driving me, and, and I've spent you know I went through a period where I graduated high school, all I want to do is go make as much money as possible, go work drilling rigs, oh, I want to you know get promoted and do this, and it's like at, at that point it was like success and and money was the motivation behind everything, and then come to a point now where I'm sort of you know I call myself middle age, I don't thirty know, six years old, reached. A point of you know i guess financial success and however you want to define that is everyone has their own definition however reached a point and now it's like okay really trying to dig deep and figure out like it sounds funny it's like you know in the movie zoolander yeah and he looks in the puddle and his face is all like kind of messed up from the puddle he's like who am i you know like i I have that replay in my head i'm like who am i why am i here and what's my purpose and ultimately I look back at what I was, you know, as a child, it's like, what did I really love as a child? And what was I extremely good at that came natural to me? And I'm trying to bridge that because what I'm, what I've done now up until this point, it wasn't necessarily what I, like, I never grew up wanting to drill holes in the ground and be, you know, in upstream oil and gas. Nobody did. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, you know, and while I do find a sense of satisfaction and purpose doing that because for the greater good of providing energy to the world, you know, clearly I'm part of a, of that ecosystem, which is quite satisfying, but like, there's other parts of that too. It's like, you know, I feel like sometimes there's more. And so I'm, I'm spending a lot of time reflecting back into my childhood is like, why am I the way I am? And so it's, it's kind of like, you know, not to get into that side of, you know, the conversation, but I can identify with, with what you're saying. And in, in terms of like really peeling back the onion, I think as we get older, we start to really understand ourselves and even you know for my mom she's 78 almost 80 years old and seeing almost having to like treat her as not necessarily a child but you know Mm -hmm. trying to help take care of her mentally and then her telling me things about herself as a child and then me as a child it really like starts to really connect the dots so it's this weird kind of i guess paradigm shift sometimes when you really
0: dig into it so my priest patrick who's been on the podcast a couple of times patrick miller yeah we've done a couple of men's retreats where 10 of us just hole up in my house for call it 48 72 hours and one of the things patrick does to kind of break the ice is he gets you a sheet of paper and he says okay let's go up the tree so tell me about your parents grandparents and great-grandparents if you can uh and you kind of go, huh, whatever. And you start doing that. You realize that so much stuff is driven by things that happened generations ago. I mean, Mm. you know, Patrick's uh, I'm making this up because I can't remember the exact, but you know, Patrick's great grandfather decides to go do something uh, and gets killed in action. So his dad grows up without a dad. So his dad leaves him yeah, and you know Patrick grows up having to deal with an absentee father, you know, and yeah. just and you realize no that that started eighty five years ago, and it's amazing how when you do that exercise with ten people, everybody cries. I mean, <laughs> right? you're at some point you're crying <laughs> as you go kind of back through this. Yeah, and then we he always closes out kind of the forty eight hours of seventy two hours of okay you know people are going to be sitting in a room 80 years from now doing this they're going to go back and you're going to be the the great grandfather how much did you say about your great grandfather you said three or four words so what are those three or four words you want them to think about wow. you know about you and it it, it it makes a wild kind of kind of circle on it but yeah you know sort of sort of what you you figure out doing that is one you figure out just so much stuff you're dealing with baggage from the past you also kind of figure out you're, you know, the seven year itch is not just a made up thing. We really do run in seven year cycles. I've, yeah. You're, you, how old did you say you were? 36? 36. Yeah. So you just can't, you, if you were, if you were exploring life, soul searching the last two or three years, you're at the end of a seven year cycle. And that's pretty typical. Yeah. For, for stuff. And you'll, you'll kind of think you pulled it together and then you're going to start hitting 40, 41, 42. And you're going to kind of go back. Yeah. Go back through that stuff. And so fascinating. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the um, and and I think kind of the other big thing that you have to wrestle with is if your sense of self-worth is something that's temporal, you know, mm. is something if it's a person that can die or it's a person that can break up with you and go away, if it's, you know, somebody you're no longer friends with or all that really gets wild. Because then you're at the mercy of something, and so what? What part of mine was in terms of getting right with stuff? And I don't want to get preachy here because I I would be. You can get preachy. I I would be like the least poster boy for any sort of church, but (laughs) you know, you know, mine kind of went to a lot of God, you know, in terms of just figuring out, okay, why do I have worth, you know, why 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 should I feel okay being being Chuck Yates? And so I really kind of got instead of things of this earth, I kind of got more grounded in spiritual type stuff, even though I still drink too much, you know, I still, you know, cheat on this and that and do all sure. these, do all these bad things. But anyway, I, I kind of did that and that, that really helped because people are always like, Oh man, you got fired. That sucked. And I was like, it's Tuesday, man. I, I'd, I'd already kind of dealt with my demons, you know, call it, you know, three or four years before. So I was, I mean, I was like, great. I don't have to go to the office tomorrow, whatever. <laughs> and, you know, you go, okay, I got to sell the jet. So I sold the jet. You yeah. Know? yeah now I yeah. drive a Hyundai and it's great. You right. know? <laughs> great <laughs> mileage. Yeah.
1: yeah. No. So would you, would you say, and, and again, we'll, we'll get in, all the listeners are like, wow, this is different than normal. But I think this is important because I think these are conversations that, especially us as men, as, you know, as we get older, we sort of lose our sense of like deep relationships where you can have these conversations so i think right. it's really cool that you do those retreats and talking you know before we move on you're talking about sort of like self-esteem and, and self-worth i think for the most part most people's self-esteem and self-worth is wrapped up in the judgment of others and so we do things like you almost said like kind of like doing things to probably get approval from somebody or whatever Right. but the reality is is like you know where people see approval from other people is like a lot of times those people don't even really give a shit about them in the first place. And especially when like totally. social, social media, it's like, Oh, I'm going to flex on Instagram to where, so I can seek approval from this masses of people. But like the reality is no one really cares. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, for me, my self-esteem and purpose is wrapped up in the happiness of my wife and my two kids beyond that. Right. It's like, I don't really, you know, and then once I kind of realized, cause for a long time, same thing growing up, like I always wanted to have the best house parties. I always wanted to have the most friends. I always wanted to, you know, be this captain of football. Like, same kind of, yeah. was like, I always wanted to be in that mm-hmm. spotlight, league. And it's like, did I really enjoy it? Or was it more to just, like, have that kind of sense of, like, oh, everyone knows me and all this and stuff. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, again, like, kind of reflecting back. But, you know, if you, if you look at Brene Brown's research, what
0: she will say the pressure point for a man is. So, with women, it's body image. I mean, that is mm-hmm. really what makes them feel unworthy is dealing with that. And a lot of that's society and magazines where everybody, yeah with men it's the ability not to fix something hmm. that's really where we where we break down and you can fascinating you know and you can look at it's probably a little bit of a stretch but you can look at i only got 3 likes on this instagram post as maybe i'm not able to fix something but usually yeah. our big pressure point is not being able to fix something hmm. and i think a lot of the problem men and women have is a man can't fix something. He loses his job or whatever, can't sure. provide for his family. And the wife thinks she's being supportive. The uh that's Colin's chair. He's gotta <laughs> he's got a he's gotta <laughs> pop it up. You know, he's so short. No, i, I got he's gotta pump it up. I you hit know. my
1: leg on it and it
0: just, it but, just does. <laughs> Sorry, I was a but, distraction. Yeah. But, um, you know, a lot of times the women will say things like, well, you should work on your resume today. Mm. And they think they're being supportive. Actually, what the man hears is you can't fix it. Yeah. And that's our that's our pressure point. And no, that, that's that's, that's man, really I... hard to to navigate because huh. um, it, it takes a realization on your part as a man to go. She's not telling me I can't fix it. She's trying to help. Yeah. But I think it's incumbent upon the wife, too, to just say, he knows he needs to work on his resume. Sure. He really does. Yeah. Objectively, like, it makes sense. It it makes sense. And so, you know, it's, it's, you get into this kind of deep sort of stuff. And why I don't actually think it's weird that we're talking about this on an energy podcast. I mean, we had the mind fuck of all mind fucks over the last three years. We had minus $37 oil. Everybody lost their jobs. Yeah. I mean, there, there was a lot of, of mental health issues. Yeah. And so that's number one. You know, COVID did a number on all of us because of that. And number three, the boom and bust cycle of our industry, yeah. I don't think we've ever been mentally well. Sure. in our industry. Over, the, you know, since Titusville, we have not been well because it's <laughs> boom you, and bust.
1: Man, that yeah, you know, and, you, that's and such so so point. I don't
0: I don't think this is weird that we're we're actually talking about it. And what I've found on my podcast is when I do this type stuff, you know, it's so funny. Whenever I turn in a podcast around here, Colin's always like, "All right, how long is it and did somebody cry you know, it's, it's, <laughs> it's it's, like, it's, like therapy sessions for us like, Oldfield yeah, we, folks we were hugging it out but you know the the, the engagement i get with you know I, I did a my first podcast of the year was seven minutes long i sat right there and recorded it on my iphone and i basically just said hey 2022 sucked for me i don't know why nothing bad happened to me hmm. i may have been clinically depressed I wasn't, I, I promise you, I'll, I'll call if I'm going to jump off a building. It wasn't that, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. it was just kind of blue and a funk yeah. and I kind of half-assed everything and, you know, I didn't have any consequences for my inaction. If I didn't drop a podcast one week, who cares? Sure. Kind of half-assed that roast I do every year for charity. And we have the third largest take we've ever had and stuff. And I really didn't have to face a consequence until the girl I was dating dumped and dumped me for not being engaged. She dumped me for not being loving enough and all that. And quite frankly, she was right. Okay. I mean, I was half ass in the relationship and stuff. Yeah. And so I had to really get right with my... my. I had to figure my shit out and dig into it. Fair and enough. I did a lot of that. And I got this wild... So kind of, let's call it December 10th <clears throat> the New Year's Eve. I have this wild arc that has me on the road seeing Roger Krieger and Corpus at one point going to the Selena museum the next day to, I swear to God, I had a burning Bush moment on par with Moses where I've literally spoke to God. <laughs> okay, um, Tell was, us more about y- that. The uh, Well, it's going to come out on Chuck Yates needs a wife. We're going to, okay. so we're going to, we'll so, save it for so, that. So, so that's what I teased. Uh, and I basically put a stake in the ground. Now I have to actually go film this thing. But <laughs> yeah. I teased. I said, I'm going to tell the story of this because me and the girlfriend are back together. Congrats. So, uh, yeah. Cool. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I say that on her behalf, not mine. Sure, sure. But uh, but no. And so so anyway, I think just a lot of us in this industry have had to go through it because of the mm-hmm. boom. bust. And quite yeah. frankly, our industry is dangerous. I mean, you can literally die any day out in the field. Yeah, and no, I mean, that's that, true. You can't say that for you, many industries. Yeah, you're under you're under that stress, and so I, I actually yeah. think it's cool we're sitting here talking about this because I think the single best thing we could do to our industry is figure out some way to deal with our mental health issues. Wow, um, no, I, I really do that, and I don't know what that is. I've spent some time thinking about it, and I want to do something. I don't know if it's, you know. Is there an app we can have that sits there and helps monitor people so a company can say, hey, man, I got I got to get Justin out of there for a while. We got to work on something. Is there, huh. you, you know, because you're, you're seeing in everything, energy is always 15 years behind everybody. Yeah. Unless it's, you know, a unless it is, you know. Being the most technologically sophisticated to drill a well right yeah we yep, do that yep. really well right bookkeeping we're fifteen years behind we use ledgers still you know mental health type stuff a lot of industries are spending a lot of time focusing on that i mean yeah uh you know uh the girlfriend actually partner in a large accounting firm i mean if you, they they give you a quiz pretty regularly and they ferret out oh there's there's family member problems here for addiction or there's you know, money problems here, whatever the mental health thing is. And they get and they've got therapists on staff that are hitting it. Wow. You know, hey, you need to come to this session and stuff. And so there needs to be something like that in, in
1: oil and gas because we just. It's, it's very tolling on people. Would you say that majority, if not all have people have a degree of mental health issues? Oh, I think we all do. I mean,
0: I think we all do it at at some level right? and it gets pronounced and and we figure out how to deal with it. This is kind of an interesting stat. I know you think I'm changing the topic, but I promise I'll bring it back. You know, when the Navy SEALs go out and look for potential candidates, yeah. They actually go and try to find uh, people that had childhood trauma.
1: You mentioned that in your oh, last podcast, right? Okay, yeah, yeah. I've talked
0: about this before, and it's they want somebody that's dad abused them or whatever because they're used to running on a drill, adrenaline the whole time. That is, yeah, No data to suggest this, and I'm not, I'm not impugning anyone in the oil field because anyone in the oil field, greatest people on the planet, but yeah. wouldn't surprise me if you see a lot of that. And sure. And because they're drawn to that adrenaline, you know? I For mean, sure. Wow. And you start thinking about that. Well, how do you deal with that? You drink too much, go prostitutes, you know, yeah. you gamble, you do drugs. And yeah.
1: You yeah. know, no, it, I think it all ties together. And I think these conversations are, you know, again, it's they're important. And they, it, <clears throat> I don't think, again, I, I don't think there's really, uh, uh, I, don't, I don't think that, people should shun away from it. And again, like I said earlier, and and to the point of you made with your, the retreats that you do with those gentlemen, I think more and more needs to happen. And and to your point on creating something or having some sort of program or a system or a way to, for folks to deal with it other than energy fin twit, uh, which I think is helpful. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, but yeah, again, I I think there's a need for it and who knows you might unlock the Holy grail there. So, yeah. And yeah, you know one of the things uh i've said on a podcast before so i hate
0: kind of repeating it but i think you know and it's horrible cuz we're not wired this way with, as as men but the only way you've deal with those feelings of being unworthy is to talk about them shame hates words sure. you know is a way to yeah. is a way to say it and that's so hard for us to admit to of things we did yeah but what what i always say is if you decide to do it there is a 99 percent chance that the person you choose to do it with like you know you and i go get a beer i want to talk to you and do it 99 percent of the time you always say back me too you're right i, I felt that way too yeah, the thing i love point. so much about my priest patrick is i'll go fess up to these horrific things i've done in my life and he always fesses up to something even worse. I'm like, dude, you're a priest. And he goes, I know it's really bad. I shouldn't do that. But (laughs) yeah, I mean,
1: because, uh,
0: because, uh, I mean, I, and, and if there's one kind of message and I'm being a little preachy here, but if there's one message, if you're feeling shitty, go talk to someone. I I advise, go see a professional because. There is a skill set of peeling back the onion up there. And right. They, they work a off a certain causes. framework that can be yeah. effective. Yeah. yeah. But at a minimum, go talk to a friend, go talk to a buddy, because I've, I've never had an instance where I've been embarrassed to admit something and I've fessed up to it and I've ever gone, oh, shit, I shouldn't have done
1: that. Yeah. You know? Well, I think, in, in, and I know digital wildcatters and, you know, there's a lot of startup uh activity happening. And that's one of the common denominators I find talking to CEOs of, or founders of startups is it's like it takes a toll on their mental health. And so I think, you know, even, you know, you, you tack on oil and gas to then starting a startup within oil and gas. I mean, you gotta be pretty mentally tough to to be able to withstand, you know, it's kind of like a, you know, Josh Young's I, I always love Josh Young when he talks about bison interests. He's like, I'm like a bison into the storm. And it's like, that just like to me sums up oil and gas. It's like we're always into the storm. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but, but it, the moment we're not having the storm, you know it's <laughs> right around the corner. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, before we keep going, I do have to take a moment to uh, tell everyone about my new sponsor, Inflow Control. They're a technology company that helps oil companies improve the efficiency of oil production while reducing the industry's environmental impact with their autonomous inflow control valve technology. This technology improves oil production by reducing unwanted gas and water which ultimately enables mature oil fields to be more profitable by supporting oil production from zones that would typically be bypassed. This provides companies and its stakeholders with lower, lower carbon oil and higher profitability. To learn more, click the link in the show notes or simply check them out on LinkedIn or at inflowcontrol.no, hence a Norwegian company, but no they're a great group so appreciate all the support there. Um Hold on. Go
0: ahead. Let's do this, because I seriously believe this. I know we've had a pretty good run of prices. We hit, you know, whatever, 123, I think, was our high. And we're back in the 80s now. And that's a far cry from, you know, minus 37. Nickel and dimes matter. Yeah. They really matter. And we're Mm. shitty as a business about nickel and dimes. Hitting home runs, we do that great. We can go... You know, we can go drill a wildcat well and hit something, we can three D seismic image something and all that. But the nickels and dimes, the block and tackling, kind of the plumbing and stuff. Yeah. Really, really matters today. And if we want to be in industry and be around for a while, you gotta do that.
1: Yeah. No, and and so
0: that's 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 why I love your sponsor on that. Yeah, no, I I that
1: shit matters. It does. I mean, if if you can help if I mean if you can reduce your water content in your oil production by way of you know, deploying some technology that ultimately gives you better returns. And, and I mean, again, it may be 10 bucks a day, but over the course of a, a field, especially, you know, if you extrapolate that over the life cycle, yeah. well, um, it matters. And, and like you said, Walmart
0: I think, does it every day, you <laughs> yeah, know, I right. mean, tick so, on down right. the list of all the great American companies, they do it and we don't do it in oil. We don't do it in oil and gas typically. And we wonder why Wall Street shits on us. Yeah. You know? So
1: why is that? You think, I mean, I have my thoughts, but why do you think that is we do a bad job at doing that? Um, so, so I've always felt like as
0: an industry, we got dollars as a hedge, meaning, you know, generally speaking, higher oil and gas prices led to a recession, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. it's a higher cost on society, right? Yep. And so as an investor, you have a portfolio. So I need to own some oil and gas in case it runs up to counter the rest of the market. Notice in there, I didn't say, I need to find a well-run company. I need to find a company that has a great play. I didn't need to find, you know, it's Mm. no, I need a hedge. Yeah. And so because of that, in effect, what you're rewarded for, if you're just kind of the hedge dollars, is you're almost rewarded for hitting a home run as opposed to doing that, like like Walmart, all they've ever done is hit singles and doubles. Mm. They've never really hit a home run. If you think about it, they opened it one store at a time. Yeah, they squeezed this and that out, and as you know, after seventy five years, they have this massive company. Yeah, we the business have always tried to hit a home run, so we'll spend money trying to hit this home run but we won't spend money automating our land files so that we can save $20,000 a year or whatever the case may be. And so I think, I think that's why we're historically we've been poorly run Mm. as a, as an industry is because we got money for being a hedge. Yeah. You know, which
1: I think also ties in and from, from my kind of position where I'm at in the sandbox that I play in, uh, because of the cyclical nature and and most companies are, you know, their success is measured every 90 days and they're looking for home runs to keep drawing in this investment or the investors or to gain wall street's confidence. But that's one thing I've noticed, you know, in, in my space is that because of the cyclical nature, a company, an oil field service company is, is, is somewhat reluctant. And I say smaller oil companies, oil service company are reluctant to, deploy a significant amount or a considerable amount of capital to whether it be automate, to adopt technology. And it's like, we'll do a little bit because if we invest a bunch of money and then in six months when we haven't realized or there's no return on this invested capital, well, then all of a sudden rig t- or rig count drops. Well, then we're left holding the bag and the investor's like, what the heck? So, it, it and again, this is pure observation. It's not like one company specific, but it's like we always do just enough to like make it to the next cycle without really taking... Like looking, okay, let's look at a 20-year horizon because we just don't know what's going to happen in six months. And so I feel like a lot of times we're going after these – and again, this is from from my stance on oil field services. Some do it better than others, but I, th- until we can figure out a way, and I have some ideas, is like how can we protect ourselves against these cyclical – because these, cy- these cycles happen? Because I think it's inevitable. They're going to happen, right. and the intensity and the frequency are only getting more – I guess the frequency is getting – well, especially with COVID – more the, the intensity is getting more intense, but it's like, how can we get ourselves to the next level and adopt technologies, deploy capital without always being worried about like, oh, well, is the operator going to pay for this? And oh, well, is the operator going to pay us more because we're trying to prove this new technology? I mean, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I guess in saying all of that, I think we have a long way to go. And I think the cyclical, if we can figure out a way to reduce our exposure these cyclical natures i think a lot of that's going to come through automation being able to scale up and scale down without having to hire and fire thousands of people all the time because we're running on spreadsheets and we have everyone <laughs> punching numbers in um you know that to me i think is going to be a game changer and like you know to to plug the sponsor again is like things like that that can ultimately make you more profitable because margins over time have just getting gotten beat down and so i know in the old field service space like overall margins they're hard to get. And because of unconventionals, is a lot of times commoditized. And I'm saying this generally. I'm not yeah. sure people are going to argue because they always do. But in general, unconventionals have somewhat commoditized wool oilfield services because it's assembly line. You know what I mean? It's just like go, go, go. You can sell new technology, but chances are a lot of people are selling new technology. So is it really new? Or is it does it really differentiate you? Some yes, some no. Um, but anyway, that's uh, I digress. I'm just kind of thinking out loud on that front. But the cyclical nature of our business ultimately – inhibits our ability to get to where I think we need to be.
0: Yeah. And, and imagine what it does for young talent, right? Because, I mean, at least the whole time in my career, the average age of the employees in the oil and gas business, if last year it was 42, the next year it's 43. I mean, you know, yeah, attracting that young talent, if you think about it, you're going to a kid coming out of college saying, you're really bright, you're really smart, come work here. And you can get fired anytime the Saudis decide to pump more oil. Can't really (laughs) figure out what they're doing this morning, but you you can get fired. And oh, by the way, it may take you 25 years to get promoted to vice president because we have this tenure track. I mean, we're really bad about tenure. And there's some justification for tenure. I don't know that I want a guy in charge of a rig who's been there two years. You know, of course. So, I mean, it's a dangerous industry. So, you do need to have experience. But at the same time, you know, I, I like to tell this story. There was a there was a big data group at one of the large EMP companies, and a 23 year old data scientist, literally messing around on a computer, was digging into stuff and figured out just through data, probably had never even been into the field, figured out. If, you ne- if the pumper never put their truck in reverse, it would reduce wear and tear by 45% on the trucks. Okay. It would reduce accidents by 75%. No and way. And so they just, they redid all the pumper's routes where you never had to park and go in reverse. Huh. You were always able to drive forward.
1: Okay. And
0: it, it panned out exactly how she said. She's like, that's it. Huh. And, you know, she figured this out and it saved all this money. And she got a 5% raise that year, you know, where if she's at Amazon or Microsoft, she may be head of the marketing group, you know, at 25. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think, I think that's another element of this boom and bust is, okay, you're going to take all the downside of a bust, but you're not going to get the upside of, of stuff. And again, just adds to anxiety and <laughs> <laughs> and everything else.
1: Yeah. No. And God, I'm such a
0: buzzkill. Here no. we are,
1: buzzkill. <laughs> but <laughs> buzz the buzzkill hour. <laughs> but but I mean, it's again, these are all challenges that we have to face and overcome. And I think you you, you talk about you know talent. I mean, again, I deal. I, I know a lot of folks on the drilling contractor side. You know, the drilling fluids world. To get folks outside of college or coming out of college, or even folks that maybe you know have come from rural America that are just hardworking, good Americans to get them excited about oil and gas is extremely tough. And back in the day, and this is one of the reasons I got into oil and gas, because as a roughneck, when I'm 18, I could go make double what my buddies are going to go make at working for whatever, some, some retail store or God forbid going to college. I was the last thing on my mind. And I was like, well, I can go make $75,000 a year as an 18 year old with, with like a barely passing high school grades, sign me up. But nowadays that's not even the case. And that's, I think, a lot of the challenge. Again, and I'm talking more specifically to like field folks, is that before they could entice them with paying them like a ton of money. Now a kid can go, say, work at, I don't know, below the belt. Well, that's a Canadian retail store. But anyway, uh, some retail store have a side hustle on their phone and make just as much as a rig hand going to West Texas. And yeah. to your point, sacrificing their life every day yeah, uh, or six months of the year. So <clears throat> again, in, in talking to drilling contractors, like, they're having a hell of a time trying to find people. You know, the EIA and all these other models show, okay, we'll, we're going to try and increase US oil production to like 12.4, 12, 12.5 12, by the end of the year, which is probably going to require a lot more rigs than we have now. I think we're at close to 800, 770 775 something. 775, I think. Yeah, like that. and, and yeah. To, to, to to get the hands required to service all the, or to handle these rigs is uh, it's going to be super challenging. And so it's like, can talking to a lot of the people there, it's like, well, we can't, Entice them by a bunch of money because our day rates are what they are, and our margins are, you know, we're 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 trying to hang on or recoup from COVID, you know, the the pandemic and how we got beat down on pricing and everything else. And so we're in this like funny position. It's like we want to ramp up, but yet we don't. Like, where are we going to find all the talent, in the hands that are actually willing to come out and work hard on a drilling rig? Well, know. and
0: think about it.
1: Let's overlay Wall
0: Street on this because it always comes back to the money. When they say it's not about the money, it's about the money, right? right. Yeah, it is. Uh, yeah. If you're trading your public stock trades at three times EBITDA, how much incentive do you have to go get more EBITDA? None.
1: Mm -hmm. Right. If you're trading
0: at 10 times EBITDA, I'm gonna go get you a hell of a lot more EBITDA. We're gonna go drill wells, all that sort of stuff. Okay. You know, and with oil and gas companies and the service companies trading at kind of historically low multiples, there is no incentive to go spend that money to get the field hand. You know, there is no there is no incentive to go drill more. Well, so that's why I think something's going to have to give. We're either going to have mm-hmm. to see multiples double uh, on, in the U.S. for more people to go be willing to drill. Yeah. Because we're going to need this oil. Say what they want. We're not getting rid of oil anytime soon. Mm-hmm. Or conversely, prices are going to double. Right. That, you know, they just have to because we don't, we don't have the supply. Yeah. You know? So there, there, there's something there that has to give.
1: Right in sort of to on that, but pivoting a little bit with regards to energy. And, and I think we may have had this conversation in, in another sort of conversation, but have have you had any core beliefs around energy that you've changed your mind on over the last few years? I mean, with regards to the, the, you know, the, the goal with to replace fossil fuels and this whole EV adoption, I mean, we're going through this, you know, interesting transition or whatever you want to call it. Everyone has their own name, energy expansion, energy, this energy, that, but, you know, for lack of better terms, this energy transition, have you had a, sort of had any sort of principal beliefs change or have you kind of looked at things through a different lens as we move forward into this goal of being net zero? So I grew up in
0: life. I read Milton Friedman's free to choose a libertarian. I was, I had the, uh, COO of the IPAA on the podcast yesterday, and we were talking about it. I made, I made it all the way through John Galt's speech in Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand. If you you haven't read that book, I mean, it's like a thousand pages of the same shit right over and over again. So anyway, (laughs) I've always been this free market guy. Yeah. And I've always thought, you know, you need free trade, reduce barriers and all that. You go through a pandemic where you can't get N95 masks because they're all made in China. Mm. You know, you've got China making your medicines. You know, you go through that, I, hmm. I, I'm not a Trump guy, so I don't wanna sound like, but Trump was right about we need industry here. Sure. And and so kind of filter that through our business. I mean, I used, to, I used to say things like, you know, I don't think we need a tax. I mean, US companies just need to compete with the rest of the world for selling oil. Yeah. No, we need to protect our industry here. I mean, we really were at risk because we'd become so dependent on our supply chain with the rest of the world, so things like things like you know, I don't know exactly what a policy might be that it changed my mind on, but just you know hey let's let's try not to buy energy from authoritarian dictators that kill people, mm-hmm. you know that might be a place to start, <laughs> and if we've got to pay a little bit more for gasoline, I actually think that is worth it. Mm. Given the, the security nature of this, because I mean, right? I you know I don't want to sound too tinfoil hat, and who knows? But did China purposely leak COVID to see how we'd respond? Sure, maybe. I mean, it it at a minimum, I think it did escape from a lab. You know, I think, yeah, I think we've all Which I kind think of, is yeah, I think we've all kind of agreed that's probably what. And whether it was naturally occurring or created, it's not. Too far a stretch to think the next time it's going to be worse, and so yeah, so that that's been a that that's the big fundamental belief I think that's
1: changed kind of with COVID and yeah. thinking about energy. Well, it I mean it it exposed our dependencies on you know offshore everything, which yeah. to so to your point of bringing back you know bringing as much as we can here domestically. I think there's a bit of a trade off there, but I think in the long run it's probably the safest bet, and and I mean. Again, it's, you know, another thing to kind of tie into that is, um, you know, kind of, you know, we go through that and then we go into this Russia-Ukraine thing and seeing gas markets completely fundamentally change. Here in the U.S., I mean, we're sitting on a gold mine. And one actually, that was one thing I was wanting to ask you about is you had uh, Greg Kane on recently. <laughs> right. Which was like threw me for a loop. I was not, like, it was, it was quite fascinating, his stories. Um, I will say, and everything this, he's gone through. Go I've ahead. Kn- I've
0: known Greg twenty years, okay, and I know that Greg believes every single word he said on both podcasts he's done with me. He did <laughs> December of twenty twenty. He did the original Bootagate uh, podcast, and then we did the most recent one a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, Greg really believes it. I will say this in defense of Greg: people are like, oh, he's crazy. He doesn't know what he's talking about, and all that. There is something weird about the infrastructure build and the 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 build going on along the Gulf coast yeah, that I'm not sure is easily explainable. I sure. mean, I'm sure there's an explanation, but yeah.
1: Well, can, so, I mean, I encourage everyone out there to go listen to it. Um, his, on Chuck's podcast. So but his, could, could you, his, yeah, yeah, his
0: just, it. his just punchline is, uh, basically twofold. There's a lot of infrastructure being built along the Gulf coast in terms of capacity to refine, ship, whatever. <clears throat> and then, and, and, you know, you think about that and you go, okay, that's either volumes coming from the mid-continent or from the Permian. Mm-hmm. And then specifically when you kind of look in East Texas and Madison County in and around that area, what you see, and Greg has like jumped fence. He's an old school land scout. Like he jumps the fence. He takes a picture. <laughs> yeah. A lot of crazy things have happened, but he has identified pipelines being put in that aren't on railroad commission maps and i've seen pictures of it so you know i you <laughs> so know crazy. it's cra- it's crazy but what happens is if you look kind of at the map you know from the north through east texas basically you have six or seven pipelines kind of fan out around madison county and then they gather back call it around cleveland texas yeah if these are volumes from the Permian Basin, I mean, you just loop pipelines, right? You don't go and get multiple right-aways and do all this crazy stuff. If it's coming from the mid-continent, same thing. You just build a bigger pipeline and you stick it right next to the existing pipeline. And the fact it's fanning out and these big pipes are being put in the ground, that is weird. Right. I will I will give Greg that. That and, is weird. And so what is And his- so his take is... His original take back in December of 2020 was EOG had figured out in the Buddha, they had the largest um, onshore oil field ever discovered and they were being quiet about it to go build the infrastructure. Um, And then his follow-up to that is, there's a play going on um, in kind of Leon County, Robertson County, the deep Bosher and Comstock's mm. big in there. Atheon's yeah. big in there. Yeah. And they're drilling these big, huge gas wells. And uh, so his whole take is, you know, this is this fundamentally huge supply source. That's why they're building all this infrastructure and hmm. the
1: market will catch up at yeah. some point and figure out that he's right. Wow. It was interesting. <laughs> and it was interesting to hear that. And again, I, I was, I was kind of driving and doing things, but I was listening as I was, doing different things but his story about how he was he felt like the government was on to him to where which then he was being almost like pushed out of the oil and gas industry yeah, he and he couldn't get a like job. he was kidnapped and he was drugged yeah and, and, and then his phone he like he couldn't be monitored yeah, and, yeah. And i was like
0: what like like i said i mean i've known greg greg would not lie to me i've known greg 20 years and all that i yeah you know I don't know that that stuff happened, but I know Greg believes it happened. Yeah. I will say that
1: we'll talk about mental health. That a guy for a loop. Yeah, <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, that,
0: Jesus, I really would. I oh. really would. So anyway, it, it's a wild
1: story, and it is. And, and I and I I actually, feel for the guy, man. I kind of felt I, bad for him a little
0: bit. I I you know I do too. And and but the, and the flip side too is is it's such a wild story, and people are like, oh come on, you know, why why do you let it on the podcast? It's like, you know. Why hey, not? <laughs> hey, it's a, it's his story. He really believes it. I won't yeah. let
1: people knowingly lie on my podcast. Sure. But I'll let them come tell their but story. But again, if, if you look at it like the fundamentals of what's happening and the infrastructure, like it has to make you kind of question and be like, okay, well, what is going on? Let's dive into I've, it.
0: I've gotten some DMs through Twitter with, hey – I work at a refinery on the Gulf coast and whenever we bring in a new set of supply, the pipeline's always like marked whoever the operator is. Right, so and it'll these, be like yeah. Exxon or, you know, whoever's bringing the supply. And he goes, we have project X pipeline being brought in right now. And when I ask about it, people say, shut up. Yeah. And you know, so, so, so yeah, it's definitely, there's it, something weird there. Yeah.
1: Right. And, and I'm sure. And I'm all... not a
0: midstream guy, so it could yeah. be a simple explanation. Right. Yeah.
1: <laughs> like they, yeah. Who knows? Um, let's talk a little bit, you know, technology. You have a pretty good exposure here, especially to the wildcatters and all the fancy things happening on the technology side. Are there any emerging technologies that really excite you as we move into 2023 and, and kind of beyond? So
0: i um, a note of disclosure uh, I'm also on the advisory board of Montrose Lane the small little energy technology venture capital fund cool. so Oh okay cool. Uh, you know advisory board I think is kind of code for you're the older brother you know yeah. it's not it's Which not is... like I'm in the weeds but you know I get phone calls and keep in touch with the guys Yeah on a fairly regular basis the the thing that worries me about technology and just kind of given where we are in the world that we need more supply I don't see anything that in five years could materially change the supply outlook. So, and and let me tell you what I mean by that. I mean, we're sitting there in 2005 to 2007, and we're just crushing it, natural gas. We're drilling horizontal, fracking. We figured out how to make the shales work. The barnet's starting to hum. You drilled an oil well back then came on a thousand barrels a day two days later it was down to ten barrels of oil a day. It was the kiss of death mm. but at least when you were sitting around, you could talk yourself into if we figure out what we were doing in natural gas and figure out how to prop the the formation open in oil, that could be a game changer now mm-hmm. did we see that oil did it was I sitting there in two thousand seven saying that Oil production is going to double in the United States over the next 10 to 15 years? No, I didn't see that. Yeah. But at the time, if you told me that was going to happen, I say, oh, okay. Well, it would be because of this. I literally don't see anything um out there where if we, you know, added 35% to US oil production, I don't see any technology that could be driving that. The one thing I've seen is there's a I don't even know. It, it, I think it's radio waves. There's this radio wave, high intense radio wave frack that's supposedly just rubbleizing the hell out of rock mm. and leads to greater recovery factors and higher IPs. But I've heard kind of every testing they've done, it goes out about, you know, two inches and it clogs back up. But outside, outside of that, that's what I worry about. So there's there's a yeah. ton. We could sit here for the next two weeks talking about nickels and dimes type technologies that are really cool. Like, you know, there's so much digitization to do across our industry.
1: I mean, which I think ties into the efficiency of how we operate, but nothing, I don't see a game changer. Do you see a game changer? You're closer to it than I am. I uh, I mean, mean, let's
0: let's take this. We are at 19 million barrels a day of us production and call it 2033. Yeah. What caused that? Yeah outside of price running and we just threw rigs at
1: it i mean was yeah, there a technology I mean, uh, that caused it other than a massive play offshore or something i mean i yeah again That's just i don't find in the rock yeah. well of course but to, yeah to switch yeah. so your point no i don't i don't i mean is is there yeah i don't know because ultimately it, no it's tough right because if you look at like all the tier one acreage and you look at a lot of the You know, production rates per, you know, well drilled, looking at some of the EIA data that they've put out over time, I think it peaked maybe a few years ago, but that's slowly dropping off. And so people are now like, you know, the abundance of cheap, the the cheap barrel is not necessarily there anymore. And so it's like we're having to go on this fringe acreage and now this consolidation is happening to try and so so. You know what's interesting about that data? I'm sorry I cut you off, but I find this fascinating because I did that same thing.
0: So let's go back to, I don't know, pick a number, 2012, 2014, and look You know, all the way to 2018. Initial production rates out of oil wells were up 30%, 40% each year, right? I mean, you were just getting better. Yeah, Yeah, you were drilling longer, bigger fracks, figuring it out. And then call it like 18 and 19 or 17 and 18, somewhere around there, it was up. Call it, call it 20-ish percent. You know, so it was definitely the 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 acceleration rate was declining. It was still up. Yeah. If you took out Exxon and Chevron drilling in the Permian, and the thesis there is they were just late to the game, right? Okay. They watched everybody else do it. Uh, kind of whatever it was, 17, 18 or 18 and 19, uh, it was actually the IP per well was declining 10%. Really? and so that so basically the, so they pro,
1: they held they popped yeah, it up for longer
0: yeah the production increases we saw doing the global numbers was really just chevron and exxon deciding to drill their really good acreage in the permian but right. if you looked at just kind of pure technological impacts yeah we peaked in like 16 no you know? kidding Man, fascinating isn't that yeah. wild yeah. yeah
1: no it is which, which again it's like we're gonna have to figure something out because with declines and now that this sort of data coming out it's I don't, I mean, I don't know how we're going to get to, well, I I, I guess, like even to get to 13 million here in the US, which like a good, I don't know how much of that is Alaska. I think it's like half a million a day, but in the lower 48 unconventionals, I don't know how we would, how we're going to get more than that. And if you look at global oil demand, which is arguably going to peak in anywhere from two to 10 years, depending on which report you look at. but. The demand's still gonna be there. I'll take the over on that. Yeah, do what? I'll, I'll take the over on that. We're not <laughs> we're not peaking anytime soon. I know. I did a I did a poll on on LinkedIn. It was like you know when when do you expect you know peak demand to hit? And you know it's just the 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 comical relief I got from everyone's inputs, which again no one knows. But right. I would argue too is like it's not anytime soon. Although to saying all that, I mean, and again maybe I'm somewhat biased, but like I just can't see a case. Unless we have demand destruction, especially with China and India, where oil, with the supply and what we're looking at, like, I just, I don't see a case for lower commodity prices. And because I don't think OPEC has the capacity to just all of a sudden open the taps. Oh, they're, they're tapped out. Yeah. I mean, so it's like, are we in like a very long bull cycle? Like, what What are you kind of macro so,
0: projecting? What's your thought? So this is wild. So I'll get these numbers wrong because I haven't looked at them in a while. But if you looked kind of, you know, 2000 to 2015, something like that, basically, and I'll kind of make up those numbers, but the relative of these numbers is more important than the actual number. I want to say in the kingdom, the Saudis had 50 rigs running, 75 rigs something like that. Mm -hmm. And that was made sense, right? A well would bust. They need to drill another one, maintain pressure, whatever they had to do, right? From 15 to 19, there were points in there where 250 rigs were running in the kingdom. And we know this data is all messed up because nobody reports, nobody tells the truth, they hide it. But the relative, i.e. five times the amount of rigs were running in in Mm -hmm. a time when we had like $40 oil, we averaged in there you know whatever forty five dollar oil that just tells you there's no excess capacity there. There sure. is no turn on the tap right <laughs> they have it, they have a massive resource, but they got to go spend dollars to get it yeah. so so yeah you don't you don't have that United States we've talked about there's no real we've got 70, 775 rigs running, you know we trade it three times EBITDA, maybe four times EBITDA, so there's no real incentive to go grow that. I talked to the CFO of one of the large EMP companies. I go, "How's it going?" He goes, "Man, I send out dividend checks. And everybody's happy. It's great. I ain't, <laughs> I ain't gonna drill another well for the rest of my life." Yeah, but, right. You know, so you have that. So it it comes down to to demand and believe it. So I was a big bear. I thought the recession happened this year. I mean, like, okay, Great Depression level stuff. I mean, I thought Europe uh, was gonna drag us. Because, you know, people don't realize 20% of the S&P 500 earnings come out of Europe. Mm. And when you look at the FANG stocks, like, you know, the the high flyer technologies, it's even more of their earnings come out of Europe. And Europe literally was at the point last summer where the Germans were shutting down industries because they were storing natural gas because they were going to have to heat uh, homes this winter so people wouldn't die. I literally thought all industry in Europe was going to have to be shut down. And we got bailed out by global warming. We had the warmest yeah. winter in Isn't Europe since 1881. Yeah. So God really might be European. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I get I get this. So I mean, like <laughs> Goldman Sachs has even come out and taken a European recession off the table. They they right. think Europe's yeah. gonna grow, I don't know, 0. 0.5 or 0.6%. So not a lot. Yeah. But, you know, if we get through that, barring some weird. COVID reemergence thing. And, you know, the history, the the thing that got me about Fauci is Fauci could have come out and said, you know, this is a new virus. But that's like saying this is a new baby. Mm. Yes, it's a new baby. But we've had a lot of babies on this planet. We know a lot about babies. So generally speaking, here's what's going to happen. He didn't. You know, he caused hysteria at every corner. Generally what happens in every pandemic is the variant is less virile. Right. Uh, because at the end of the day, your guard is up, you're isolating the host if they get sick, and if it's going to kill you, you're going to get isolated, and the virus will die with the host. And so the history of every pandemic is, you know, the the variants get get less and less virile, except for one, and that was the Spanish flu. And the unique mm. situation that happened there is we had trench warfare going on in World War One, right? We would build these trenches. We'd shoot at each other. And when somebody got sick in the trench, what did we do? We put them in an ambulance. We drove them 200 miles to a hospital that had 500 people in it, and they infected everyone. So that actually was the opposite. You weren't isolating the host. You were bringing the host to a greater population. So that's why okay. we had two years of So So, I, I mean, hmm. I can't see... A variant of COVID that's going to be more deadly and shut things down. So, sure. you start doing that. I mean, how do we get away? I mean, my whole career, oil production grows or oil uh, demand grows one, one and a half percent a year. Mm-hmm. Right, it just does. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think outside the the pandemic year, two thousand eight, two thousand nine, we were down like eight hundred thousand barrels a day because we had the you know the the great credit crash. Sure. So I just don't, I don't know how we're in anything but a huge super cycle boom. Yeah. You know. Do
1: you? I mean, talking about like new technology or or some like something that'll ultimately allow us to increase supply to meet this demand growth. Do you think there's anywhere in the world that say frac technology hasn't really like ultimately? Do you think there's another call it Permian or an Eagleford or a, I don't know all the Middle Eastern yeah. ones, but but I mean, could that in theory? Ultimately, unlock you know, call it I don't know million barrels a day plus
0: so let's let's look at that. We have this unique experiment in the United States where we're the only place on the planet that we have private ownership of minerals, right yeah. I mean, however many hundred some odd years ago, Judge Brown or whatever his name was said, farmer Bob, he owns it all the way to the goddamn center of the you know of the <laughs> earth, and whatever comes out, it's his, you know. So we have that. We have, I mean, we can all debate this, but we have as entrepreneurial a spirit in America as any place else. We have the most advanced capital markets the world's ever seen, and we have... Technology wise in the oil field, I mean, I'll put that on par with putting a man on the moon type technology. We do that really, really well. Can't digitize our land files, but goddamn it, we can drill three and a half <laughs> miles horizontally and frack the shit out of something, right? Yeah, yeah. So we put all of that together across what is arguably as good as any resource base has ever been. I mean, we people forget, you know, they talk about how great Saudi is. Well, we had Saudi. It's why we won World War II. It's called the East Texas oil field, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we, you know. So all I'm saying is we've gone through that. We now have a really good handle on what the cost structure is for right. fracking fracking shale. Uh, so, yeah, does shale exist anywhere else in the world? Yeah, it does. It's going to cost at least as much in America, and I would probably say it's going to cost 150 to 175% of it because you're going to have Different regulatory environments is, yeah. you know, is Slumberjay really going to put a fleet in the middle of somewhere where a Nigerian chief can grab it? No. And, you know, yeah. so you've got, you're going to have issues to, so the answer is yes. I think the more nuanced way to ask your question and what you were really saying is at what cost could you do it? Sure. And I just, I, I don't think it's at a cheap enough cost Interesting, where yeah. we're, where we're going to have $40 oil. Yeah. You know? Yeah.
1: No, it's, uh, it's crazy to think about. Um, on the last thing on on moving away from oil and, and going to gas, do you think we're in? You know, I think we're at like three fifty, three sixty today. You know, that's come down pretty considerably. Um, once free ports exporting goes, you know, that's going to maybe shift some things. By the way, what happened there? I don't. You know, I, I read the headlines, man. I don't. I gotta, read. I read it too. It's just weird. Yeah, I don't know. We're I don't delayed have a little more. We're <laughs> delayed a little more. Yeah, you know, it'd be interesting. I mean. Again, I I don't know. I, I mean, because it was supposed some... to be January. Now it's February. Now it just
0: keeps it. And you you never get a straight answer exactly on what happened. And may, and maybe I just don't know about enough about it. But yeah, you know, my my tinfoil hat's been on for a while. And so
1: <laughs> you never. I'm know. just.
0: Was it a massive cyber attack or something? Anyway, there there's, it's just strange. I yeah. The the thing I've heard kind of from industry stuff that maybe the reason it's clouded and a little bit of secrecy is just. They have such young, inexperienced workers running around that somebody did
1: something stupid and they don't want to have to fess up to it. But anyway. I mean, that, that's that's could be right. Yeah. I mean, that we're running into that all the time. It's just yeah. young. Anyway, I didn't less mean to divert you. Off no, that, no, but, but that's, yeah, that's wild. I don't get it. But do you think you know? Do you think we're in a in a position where we're going to see elevated gas prices for an extended period of time, or do you think you know we're like where do you think gas is going? I guess is yeah. the question.
0: You know, it's wild. So you're young, you know. God, I felt old saying that. Let's <laughs> you're just, so young. Let's just cue up glory days by <laughs> Bruce Springsteen in the back. Glory days. No, yeah. you're, you're young, but like 20 years ago, kind of before the shale boom, all that mattered to natural gas price was the weather. I mean, Chesapeake and Aubrey hired these NASA-level scientists, to to go study the weather so he can figure out when he should hedge and all that weather is all that matters. And then all of a sudden you're busting shales up and weather didn't matter. You never, ever have heard a weather report talk about. Well, it's back now. Weather matters again, because, uh, because, you know, we do, we do kind of, we basically, you know, fill up all during the summer and then we withdraw all during the winter. Yeah. And, uh, and, and weather now matters. And so, it's really hard to guess kind of the the weather on stuff yeah um i i will say this i mean i think we've got enough gas in the marcellus and the haynesville that we can supply we could supply the world for 50 years if we wanted to if we if we committed to right all the export put the
1: pipelines in and that. so Well, the so, Northeast, you know, and then we have some activity up there, and so we're tied in pretty pretty heavily. And, and I know the digital wallet carriers, you guys, you know, are, are in tied in with, you know, or have good conversations with people who understand that side of it. Um, just the, the takeaway capacity and then just the infrastructure there, they, they are up against quite a bit of headwind, aren't they not? Like with, in terms of pipeline capacity and their willingness to actually, you know, Deploy enough capital and, and power to increase. Well, they have, they have big bad government just flat
0: out telling them no. Yeah. I mean, if you think about this, Massachusetts had days this winter where a third of the heating in that state was done by heating oil. Mm. I mean, yeah, heating oil crazy. is crappy for the environment, right? I mean, I'm, I don't mean to trash heating oil, but, you know, it's a hydrocarbon. There's, but, a way, there's a reason why we moved away from it. Yeah, we import. LNG into Massachusetts yeah. at the Everett facility. And it's, you know, and could we send, and it's hard to get a good number on exactly how much we're importing there kind of post-pandemic. But pre-pandemic, it was, I don't know, 50, 60 BCF a year or something like that. You know, at one point we we imported Russian LNG there. I mean, is that just not Crazy. Mm. When Toby Rice has more natural gas than he knows what to do with, we could run a pipeline up there. I bet if we uh, put oil-filled rando in charge of it, he could have a pipeline built in <laughs> six months. Oil-filled <laughs> rando. You know, yeah. he could have it. He could have it built there, and we could supply Massachusetts. And you know, yeah. and it, it's the government saying no. Yeah. Um, so that's that's kind of the really hard part about the natural gas story. Is just what is our government going to do? Because yeah. those artificial constraints like
1: that, you know. Well, and which I think supports a, a good case for the Haynesville to be long and strong too. Now, yeah. I mean, I don't, but with where they're at positioned, but you know, uh, you know, close to the Gulf and all the rest of it, like they they have a. I mean, the Haynesville to me is is a, is kind of a unique breed in itself. It was kind of died off, and then now it's just screaming. I think next to the Eagle for it's got the third highest rig count for, in the bait, You know, yeah. for all major basins and. Um anyway. Nine dollar gas will do that. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. no kidding. So it, uh, and it
0: mm-hmm. sounds like just they've pulled a lot of the public companies and kind of where they are on rigs running in the Haynesville is like, yeah, we're watching it, but at
1: 350 we keep going. Yeah. Okay. You know? No, so. I, I mean that's that's good to know. Um going back to sort of the 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 public side of things, last year, you know, everyone did or I say everyone, a lot of people did really well, paid down a ton of debt. This year, I I don't suspect profits are going to be near as, as good as they were last year, generally speaking. But do you think like where do you think a lot of the free cash flow is going to go? Do you think it's going to go to the investors like your CFO buddy said, or do you think it's going to go into drilling more, or is it going to be kind of a good balance? Like, do you have any kind of thought on that? Yeah, it you know it kind of, and, and I got to credit Brad Olson for this. This is more Brad
0: than than it is me. He runs a long only hedge fund called Recurrent. And Brad's take that I've alluded to a few times on the podcast is just show me your incentive and I'll tell you what's going to happen. And Mm. so at three times EBITDA, you're going to send checks to your shareholders and you're not going to do anything. At 10 times EBITDA, you're going to go pick up rigs. Yeah. You know, because that's ultimately, you know, what your share price is uh, and how it trades is your incentive. Because Brad tells this pretty eloquent story and I'm going to booger it all up, but he's basically like, so you're telling me that all these idiot CEOs in the shale revolution are now geniuses because of capital discipline? No, their incentives changed. Right. When you when you were paid fifty thousand dollars per acre, guess what you paid? You paid forty nine point you know 9, 9, 9 per acre because you got a markup in your stock price. So you'd buy everything. Yeah. And when the market tells you no, I'm going to value you at three times cash flow. Guess what? You're you're not going to buy any more acreage. Yeah. You know. So it's it's. I think. I think that's really just kind of watch the incentives. If we steam, see multiples stay low, it's. Uh, it's kind of crazy right now. If you if you look, um, and I'll get these numbers somewhat wrong, but I think energy accounts for five percent of the S and P 500 market value. Okay. But fifteen percent of the earnings.
1: Oh really? Yeah. Oh. I mean. It's an interesting. Yeah. yeah. Huh. So,
0: and 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 then, I mean, you just work through the math, and that means. We trade at low multiples.
1: Yeah. Low wow. multiples mean no activity. So yeah. for those who are listening that maybe don't understand the lingo, what do you mean by trading at, say, three times EBITDA? Okay. Can you, like, summarize yeah, that yeah, yeah, yeah. for people who so, may not understand? Yeah.
0: The, uh, see, I'm so cool. I talk the lingo. Yeah, right? <laughs> no, so basically what EBITDA is is earnings before interest taxes, depreciation, and amortization. So revenue minus the expenses out in the field mm-hmm. minus your GNA, the people to run the place. So that number, um, is the don- denominator, the value of your equity. So the shares outstanding times your share price, plus your debt is your enterprise value. That's right. the numerator. So if you're, Divide if those. you're, okay. yeah, if your stock is a billion dollars and you have 500 million of debt, one and a half up there. And if you're got 500 million a year of EBITDA, you're trading it three times.
1: Gotcha. That, okay. That's the
0: multiple. And then the you can do a whole lot sometimes you you look at you know the equity value divided by the net income because net income is actually after interest so you take the debt off of the numerator because you because your denominator denominator takes into account paying the interest on that debt and so you look at earnings multiples and you see kind of 15 times net income and stuff so gotcha. th- okay. that,
1: that, that's kind of multiples. Yeah, no, that's interesting. And it's stuff that I, you know, did in school, but I haven't been exposed to it in real life. So it's kind of a good refresher for me, but it's, you know, I, I've learned to kind of really appreciate the finance things. Actually, speaking of finance, have you watched the Bernie Madoff documentary on Netflix? No, but, oh my but goodness. so many people around here. Dude, is- it's insane. So you, I mean, you obviously know all about it, but it's, so this is crazy you get time. Check it out.
0: This is crazy. <laughs> One of my LPs back when I was, uh, was at, uh, Cain, um, got taken by Mer- Bernie Madoff, oh. so they lost money with him. So they oh. were the most diligent company in terms of going through due diligence, and so they would come to Houston. They'd make sure we had offices. They'd want to see files, all this. <laughs> we offered them a co-invest. You know, it's like, hey, this oil and gas company needs two hundred million dollars. The fund's going to put up one fifty. We need another fifty, and we're going out to our investors. Who wants in? Yeah. Swear to God, they hired a landman, even though I don't think they could have spelt landman and <laughs> spotted them land M-A. But, you know, God bless them. They hired a landman to go to the company and go through the files and then go to the courthouse and just check that they actually own the title. And it was all in response to we got taken by Bernie Madoff. Wow. You know, I mean, Kevin Bacon lost, you know, his net worth. You know, I think he lost fifty million bucks with him. Oh. I mean, it's just crazy. And you know what's so crazy about that? The dude literally had one bank
1: account at Chase, at, right? At uh, J.P. Morgan J. Chase, yeah. Yeah, what, yeah, whatever. The seven hundred three account or something. How they call. crazy is that? All oh, no. money went in. I mean, I don't know. And and but you know, and then even in the documentary, is that like. JP, I didn't realize that JP Morgan Chase is, has like paid out a ton of money in multiple different lawsuits yeah. <laughs> because of fraud. And it's like, huh? Yeah. Okay, but uh, no. It again, I don't have firsthand experience in the, in the finance world, but uh, I, I try and pay attention and learn as much as I can because it's, I just find it fascinating. And then when I came across that documentary, I was just absolutely blown away. And then just to see how, how the family responded to it and it just it's it's a sad story but it's 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 very interesting to see how someone at that level and like i think it was like 20 some odd years it ended up being like a 80 million dollar ponzi scheme like it's it's just crazy so i mean here's the public service announcement you want
0: someone (laughs) that is slightly above average as an investor if someone is beating uh the index of some sort by a large number they're taking more risk than they're representing to you if mm. they're not as volatile as the market is, they are taking more risk than they should and so yeah. if somebody walks if i if I do this, if I walk in and say, "Man, I'm generating thirty percent rates of return on you know this, and the index is like ten, I'm lying to you right? I'm cheating you I mean, if I come in and say, "Hey, you know out of the last twenty five quarters." I've beaten the average, you know, eighteen out of the twenty-five times, and the average has been up twelve percent, and I'm at thirteen point two. You're like, okay, I can buy that, right? Probably, you may be smarter than the average bear. If you're two exit, they're stealing, right? <laughs> it's, I it's, know it's
1: not that hard. Yeah, I know that. There are just, no free lunches in life. That's so true, and and yeah, to think, I mean, that could be a whole other podcast just to talk about the psychological issues he was dealing with, but. uh Nonetheless, Chuck, this has been good. I feel like we could keep rapping all day. Um, the last question I do have, and then I want you to tell us about all the upcoming events for Digital Wildcatters. Um, is there anything, I mean, you're a pretty open book, but is there anything about yourself that not many people know about, whether it's any unique hobbies or anything like you do on the weekends that you kind of keep to yourself because it's just a personal interest? I mean, anything kind of unique? I that really I hadn't talked about. People are like, going, God, that fucker
0: says everything. <laughs> uh, um, a... a uh, a uh a, a story that i haven't told uh, many people um shoot well the, the, yeah. the
1: celebrity stalker thing is pretty cool
0: yeah no no that's uh i mean so, that's unique <laughs> so um a few people have heard this story um i uh, i like it though it's the first time i ever met brett michael cuz i have unnatural man love for brett michael of poison okay i mean just beside myself uh man love for him and so like we get backstage and i walk in and i'm just kind of like bubbling i'm like hey brad i know this is kind of gay but can i have a hug (laughs) and he looked at me and goes. Dude, that's totally gay, but bring it on. Yeah. And anyway, dude, hug me. So anyway, Brett, man, I've, man. I've, I've so, been backstage and hung out with Brett five times. He, I don't have his phone number. He doesn't know who I am, but when I walk in, it's kind of like, oh, that's the restraining order guy we need <laughs> to get. But what, uh, so what about him kind of just like interests you? Um, and I'm going to say this with love, even though it's going to sound like I'm trashing the guy. I have a picture on the second floor of my house. I have, I have kind of my rock and roll room. I've got this bar and everything. And yeah. it's from a Brett Michael concert when him performing solo. He is wearing a Brett Michael t shirt. He has a Brett Michael hat on. He has himself. a Brett Michael bandana. His picture is on the drummer's. He has Brett Michael banners all across the backdrop no way and i mean just as shameless a promoter as there is and i've always i've always
1: just said that dude's my hero right that yeah guy's awesome you, you gotta love yourself before you can love anyone else yeah
0: right okay one 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 other celebrity story because I've, I've told the brett story to some people before uh worst celebrity ex, uh encounter was actually believe it or not dan Aykroyd. So I walk up to Dan Aykroyd, it's the opening of the House of Blues in Houston, and he's there and he performs. And I go up to him, I go, oh, Dan, I'm a big fan, Ghostbusters, Dr. Detroit, love you. He goes, what the hell do you want? I go, "Uh, can we grab a picture? And he goes, yeah, you got 30 seconds. And I go, man, this is going to be great. And he goes, 29, 28. And I'm like, oh, you know, I'm fumbling with my phone. So I get it. I snap the picture and he looks at me and says, get the fuck out. What? And you look at the picture; it looks like we're brothers. I mean, it's no just kidding, the greatest. But, but like in the, the world. context yeah. behind it all is yeah, just like not just, what you would think,
1: yeah. huh? That's interesting. I would have never thought. But no, I wouldn't either. But well, uh, there you go. That's sorry. Right, I, I love I, that. I feel,
0: I feel like I disappointed you.
1: Anyway, no, you ne- no, uh-huh. Chuck, come on. Um, tell us about Digital Wildcatters. We got yeah, some events okay. coming up. So,
0: so Digital Wildcatters um, doing some cool stuff this year. We're gonna have our Empower event again march 8th and 9th that's basically uh bitcoin mining for the energy business we have a thesis around here that at the end of the day if you generate power you're going to be the ones that bitcoin mine you're not going to you know Mm. are we going to have standalone bitcoin miners and all no i mean if if i have the cheap natural gas and at a at a minimum we believe that everybody in the energy business needs to have a strategy for bitcoin mining Doesn't mean you have to do it, but like you go get a lease, you're going to lease land from Farmer Bob. You better have a clause in there that talks about what happens if you decide to Bitcoin mine. Mm -hmm. Does he get paid on the Bitcoin revenue? Does he get paid natural gas? Anyway, so you need to have a strategy for it. So that's a great conference. It's going to be at the 713 venue in in downtown Houston. Yeah. We're going to do four energy tech nights this year. The first one I think is February 9th. Oh, yeah. That's in Houston. Yeah. We're going to do Midland. We're going to do Oklahoma City. Going to Oklahoma. Cool. Hopefully they'll let us back out, but we're <laughs> going to go to Oklahoma. And we're going to do Denver. And then uh, in the fall, we'll have our Fuse Conference again. And the Sweet. the point there is um, let's get everybody in the energy business together, renewables, oil and gas. Yeah, that was a know. great event, man. I mean, and, they're all great. But and that Colin likes to talk about let's have collisions. And we actually saw some stuff happening. I saw some renewables guys talking to some oil and gas guys. And the yep. question was, hey, we're going to have to scale up our business. You guys have scaled up more than any other business on the planet. How do we do this? And we're just, if, if we truly are going to get rid of carbon, we're going to have to do that. We can't sit around and throw shit at each other.
1: Yeah. You know? uh, and that's what I, I thoroughly commend you guys for doing is really embracing the, the above all mentality. And it's like, let's collaborate. And. And let's all focus on the North Star, which is providing affordable, abundant, and uh, reliable energy to the world. Yeah, and, and let's be good stewards
0: exactly. while we while we while we do
1: that. Yeah, and
0: uh, and then just yeah, on the personal front, we got Chuck Yates needs a job. Yeah, um, and I'm gonna try. One of the things I'm gonna try to do better this year is I'm really gonna try to pull on the network and see if I can get some folks to come on the podcast that normally don't do podcasts. That'd be huge. And we'll 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 see if we can we can get that done. Then I'm also going to do, I alluded to this on the first podcast of the year, I'm going to do an arc of Chuck Yates needs a wife. And that had originally kind of started out as this dating show for, (laughs) anyway, (laughs) but, but but where it, where it's going to go is I'm actually going to talk about kind of this, this journey I went through kind of from, you know, I think we were talking about it earlier, uh, from, Sort of the middle of December to the end of December, trying to trying to figure out my bullshit and all that. And nice. So hey,
1: you'll get it. It's, it's going
0: to have equal parts like Saturday Night Live skits that are going to be really funny. No way. And then, but then I'll get real. I mean, yeah. I'll sit out with Priest Patrick by the fire and talk too much and share more than I should. So
1: hey, you need to do it, man. I need yeah. to pour it out, like we said. But uh, no, I really genuinely appreciate your time. This Absolutely. has been a, a, an, an amazing conversation. It's I been love fun. what you're doing. Yeah, no, I've enjoyed it. And uh, the last thing, last but not least, I do need to mention Oil Patch. Uh, well, the Oil Patch. Uh, it's going to be your new daily energy news in five minutes or less. Uh, speaking of Oklahoma, it's a group out of there that are doing it. Um, from the latest breakthroughs to the most bizarre stories, they're going to be your go to source for all things energy. Think Hustle or Morning Brew for energy. Um, they're having a blast doing it. It's going to be entertaining. So please do them a favor and subscribe using the link in the show notes or go to theoilpatch.co. Uh, appreciate the partnership there. And for everyone out there, always remember everyone deserves access to energy, and we is greater than me. Thanks, everybody.